Christmas and welcome to the special Christmas edition of Fortitude in Truth. As always, I am Nate and I'm here with Andrew and we're here on this most joyous of occasions to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's that's the focus of the show. I don't really don't know that there's going to be much of an introduction, but uh, today we definitely want to spend a little bit of time just talking about the importance of Christmas, the importance of Advent to our faith, and really kind of what some of those things mean. We get lost and we know Jesus is the reason for the season, but why? So without further ado, our we will still give you a focus verse. Don't worry. Our focus verse for this episode is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful names. <clears throat> A wonderful Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah. There are many that he fulfilled. There are over 300, I believe. That sounds about right, yeah. That if you go through Old Testament, if you scour Old Testament prophecy and Old Testament history, you find different, some are more explicit than others, and some... Uh, have some multiple fulfillments, but there's a lot of messianic prophecy with kind of mixed into the prophets. There's a lot in Isaiah, um, especially. So today we're going to go through those names that we've mentioned in that verse, just to kind of give you kind of an explanation of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, uh, and some other ones that we talk about when we talk about different names of Jesus. And then we want to talk about the incarnation of Christ and what what him coming as a human means to our faith and to our salvation. And then finally, just to kind of close it out, that what he did to fulfill, right? He fulfilled prophecy, but he also, he says in Matthew, I came not to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. I actually referenced that. <laughs> with, a, with a loose paraphrase. You're welcome. Um, I'm sure Andrew will give you the exact exact quotation <laughs> but why is that important <clears throat> and that kind of goes back to our discussion spoilers of w the unity of scripture right how scripture fulfills itself and interprets itself and it's really exciting so without further ado uh, andrew's going to give us some of the names of christ thank you no i appreciate it and might i say along with easter these are this is like my favorite time of the year um I deeply, deeply appreciate the Advent season um, and just what it truly means for us and how we should view it. In light of that, I, I really wanted to hit on... Sorry. Are you advocating for Christmas and Easter Christians? I am not. I'm just saying those sorry. two seasons are great. <laughs> they, are, they are very great. They are very important. I don't ever want to take away from them, but those are not the only religious holidays. Those are also not... The only times you should go to church. No, absolutely. And I, by, by, by no means was I advocating for that. But the, there are a couple of names that I wanted to highlight about Christ. And several of them were found in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Uh, but we're going to start out with Wonderful Counselor. Then we're going to go into Prince of Peace. Then we're going to talk about, bri again, briefly, I'm going to define these. Jesus being the begotten son. Like, what does that mean? Um, then we're talk about him being referred to and named as Emmanuel. 
And we see John references Jesus as the advocate. What does that mean that he's the advocate? Excuse me. And he's also referred to in Jeremiah and a couple other places too as the Lord our righteousness. What, what, what do these names mean? Because when God names someone, i.e. Christ or before that, some of the other prophets, or you look at Jacob, and he was changed to Israel. Like When God does something like that, they carry a meaning. They, they carry something powerful. And lastly, we're going to look at what does Christ mean? Like Jesus is the Christ, right? That Christ is not his last name. So what, what does that mean? <clears throat> so when we look at wonderful counselor in that context of Isaiah, it's, it's in reference to the, the promised perfect ruler. That's, that's what it means there, perfection and ruling. Uh, the Prince of Peace carries a military connotation, um, specifically of the Messiah, delivering Israel from war and bringing about peace. That's, that's the prince of, this idea of Prince of Peace. Now, when we see Jesus being referred to as the begotten son, we see this, depending on your translation, you'll see it in John 3.16. Um, this is God's, God the Father's only son. Begotten refers to the exclusivity of the only son or only child. Right? So Jesus being the begotten son is God the Father's only child, only son. Obviously, he's also God, but in this context, referring to him as his role in the ministry um, on earth, rather his earthly ministry, sorry, brain farted there. Emmanuel, scripture defines it for us, meaning God with us, which kind of ties into what Brother Nate's going to be talking about here in a moment about the incarnation of Jesus. The advocate, this is meant in a legal sense, right? Jesus is the lawyer, quote-unquote, right, of the believer. And he intercedes on the behalf of those who believe upon him. Now, this is not, Jesus is not advocating that you sin and continue to sin just so he can defend you, right? But we should be operating with that in mind as we live our life, that Christ is our advocate. So when we screw up and we do something we know is wrong and we actively knowingly sin, we're sending Jesus to intercede on our behalf for something that should never have happened. <clears throat> we see this idea of the Lord, our righteousness. This is referring to Jesus as the messianic king or the promised Messiah king, right? The, he vindicates the people and he vindicates his people's cause and grants them victory. That idea of him granting victory makes sense because Jesus is the victory, right? We have victory in Christ, what Christ did. That's Emmanuel, we look at... Um, Prince of Peace, we look at Wonderful Counselor, the Lord Our Righteousness. All of these are Old Testament prophecies and Old Testament names of Christ. They still apply to Christ in his earthly ministry, but it's important that Old Testament flavor is there. So in context, Israel would think that it's just, just the Jews, um, when in reality it's the people that believe in God, the, the people of faith. And Christ simply means anointed. Right? So we, we see Peter, when Jesus asks, who do you, who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, the chosen Messiah, right? the chosen one, the son of the living God. That's literally what that means. So as we unpack scripture briefly, and again, I, I, just, I didn't mean to fire hose all of you listening, but these are just a couple of the names. That's not exhaustive. Um, and Jesus lived up to all of them and fulfilled them. And some of them carry um, the... Uh, Millennial kingdom connotation as well. But Luke 1, verses 26 through 38, the Bible says, Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, 
of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept wondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the household of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. She who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So this is obviously the foretelling of Jesus' birth. And along those lines, we see in Matthew, the corresponding gospel, uh, verses 18 through 25, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, think of engaged, it's an old school Israeli version, which there's more to that, but we're not going to unpack it right now. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken to the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, along the lines here, this is in John 1, not identical talking about the conception and birth but it's talking about Jesus being the Word made flesh. The Bible says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified, this is John the Baptist, John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Now, in all of these, this points further to see the names coming up in, in 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 these references here. This list of names, again, is not all um, exhaustive, rather, but it points to the proper picture of who Jesus is, right? Further, these point to the fact that of Christ's incarnation. So we see that Jesus did come and he did fulfill. He was born 
into the world. And further, he fulfilled, again, these names. Now, as we kind of transition, uh, Nate, we're talking about the incarnation. Any thoughts? Yeah, lots of thoughts. <laughs> Just kind of um, dropped the bomb on you. Drop bombs. Yeah, that went from was going to be a transition to like, uh, hey, here, here you go. Go yeah. ahead. I just wanted to see change it up a bit. <clears throat> Amen. But yeah, no. So obviously we give Christ these names and Christ had these, some of these names, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ before the foundation of the world. And some of them came to be after uh, we talk about Christ Jesus as the second member of the Trinity. But like, why is that important? It's, it's, I mean, we, t I think sometimes we take that for granted. We know he came to earth. We know he lived a sinless life. But what does that mean? Why is it important that he bothered to become a man? Couldn't he just have forgiven? Couldn't God have just said, you know, oh, you're forgiven? Um, if only. <laughs> but we talk about the aspects of God. And again, we'll probably do a series on that. But God being just, you know, he needs punishment for sin. And fair punishment for sin is death. And so somebody's got to bear that death, whether it's us or it was ultimately his son. But his son... In deif deified form, two things. One, cannot die. And two, cannot suitably pay for the sins of humanity because he's not a human. Um, so he had to come to be a man. And then he could do that. And he was God, so he could live a sinless life. So all these things are super important. Because if none of these criteria are met, or not all these criteria are met, then we aren't saved and then even further if even when we are saved him him being in likeness of man has made him the perfect high priest has made him able as the writer of hebrew says to to understand our weakness because he lived it he even more so like we take this for granted I read this in the books somewhere and i've never really thought of it this way we think temptation is so hard to deal with and it is but what usually happens with temptation? Because we're human. Sometimes. Lots of times. We give in. Right? We don't fight temptation to its fullest extent. Right? We give in. I've done it. Andrew's done it. We've all done it. Wait a minute. Just... <laughs> right? Sometimes you beat it. And a lot of times, you know, as you grow in holiness, you beat it more often than not because you realize it's not you, it's Christ. But he beat it every time. So he had to endure the full weight of those temptations every single time. And yet did not succumb. We can't ever say that. Yeah. Which is, is, is crazy. Well, what would you say, considering he being God the Son, could have any moment ended all of that, even whether it be on the cross or before when he saw that? He, that probably was a temptation in and of itself, too, when you see what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. He definitely could have, could have ended that. I'm glad he didn't. I am as well. I'm just saying you think about that. That's interesting along your lines of temptation. Yeah, and you, you even see those temptations listed out plainly in the Bible that they were, he was faced with those and he didn't succumb. But in any case, like we know he did come. John 1 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot comprehend it. And so we see that, I mean, John's purpose of John's gospel, and some of the, and Mark does this a little bit too, we talk about 
the uh, showing the deity of Christ, right? So often there's this this idea we get that either Christ is fully God or he's fully man, and he can't be both, but he is both. He's fully God and fully man. So that's also important to remember that it's not just that he's incarnate, but he is fully God incarnate, which is kind of hard to wrap your mind around a little bit, a little bit. But there's a couple other passages, and Paul is really, really good about kind of there's a couple hymns Paul uh, that Paul uses they may not be full-blown hymns but they are um he may have borrowed them but who cares because they're in the bible so it's okay if you look at Colossians chapter 1 uh, verses 15 to 20 we talk about the purpose that that he came to do all these things that he was incarnate and, and Paul really gives us the, the, the section title in the NASB says the incomparable Christ. And it's everything is Christ, the, the preeminence of Christ. And so Paul says he, in verse 15, chapter 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, not meaning that he is the firstborn of all creation, but he is head over all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. So we see here again this idea that he is the creator, right? Not just God the Father, he was with God before creation, and so him and the Father and the Spirit all have a creative nature. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place, or dominion, or preeminence, as some other translations say, in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, I say, whether things on earth or in heaven. And then he goes on to say, for the purpose, really, ultimately, of the glory of God the Father. Amen. So he came, right? And really, Christ was preeminent over everything before he was incarnate. But this idea, when Paul talks about the firstborn from the dead— Having been raised from the dead, he is now the most important person who has ever been raised from the dead, too. So now he not only has preeminence over the living, but also the dead. He's the head of the church, which is humans. And so, and two, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. His sacrifice has made peace for men with God. Without that, the shedding of blood, there is no Shout out to Junior Bible Quiz again. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission for sin. And God is a God who is a spirit who has no blood. Spoilers. <laughs> and Paul says the same, something similar in Philippians. Where he talks about Christ coming to, to, to humble himself. And I'm using the NASB here because I don't like the ESV's translation. We'll get into why another time, probably. Yeah, we most certainly will. <laughs> But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. We could spend all day on that. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, 
of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So maybe I mix passages here because he says that here and not in Colossians, where Colossians says that he transferred us from the domain of darkness into his glorious kingdom because of his death. But in, in, in any case, that the idea is, right, he didn't have to do this, but he was obedient, right? This was part of the Father's plan, right? It was part of his plan to come and die and pay for the sins of humanity, not for his own sake, but in part because of to save humanity, but also in part for his own glory, right? For the glory of God the Father. And I think people miss that because, oh, this song gets me every time. I hear this above all, right? And maybe this isn't the platform to say anything about that, but at the same time, when he's on the cross and he thought of me above all, did he? Are we sure about that? Because I think this passage says something different. It's not that he didn't think of me at all, because he sure did. But at the same time, he, he does things in the counsel of his own will for his own purposes, for his glory. And we, we miss that, right? And again, those things are all wrapped up in his whole character, his love, his justice, his wrath, his desire for glory. All these things are all one person, right? Three persons, one God. They're all one unified being that have the same purpose, even though their functions kind of overlap. And so if Christ did not come, did not pay for our sins, then who would? Because none of us can live a sinless life. So ultimately, the price we pay for our own sin is death, physical death, spiritual death. And, and his death, too, satiated God to a point where even non-Christians don't die instantly because of their sin. They're able to live. They're able to live a full life most times and are given opportunities to come to grips with the, the price that Jesus paid for their sins and for them to even live a life. It's called common grace that they didn't, they don't deserve to live at all. And he has at least allowed that to happen and is allowed us to live it forever with him in eternity. So it's just one of those things where it's hard to, the incarnation for me is probably the hardest thing to actually describe. And we're not, that's why we're not getting too far in the weeds in this. Cause there's a lot of things that are difficult to describe. But the fact of the matter is he came as a man Scripture is very clear about that. Scripture is very clear about why, right? To pay for the sins of man, to be the great high priest. Read the book of Hebrews. It's uh, that's what it's all about, is that Christ's fulfillment in the Old Testament law of the Old Testament sacrifices. He, he did all that. So he fulfilled the, old, the law and the prophets. And Andrew's going to get that in just a second. But that's what he did. And because he did that, he glorifies the Father. So if you want to just kind of take over as we talk about fulfilling law and prophets. Absolutely. I just have one quick point on uh, the incarnation. Let's kind of tie into that a little bit. We see in 1 John, uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, I'm going to really quickly just talk about this just to kind of button that up. Um, and it rolls, it rolls in actually to uh, talking about fulfillment. Um, we see here the Bible says, when I, when, what was from the beginning— what we have heard, again, this is John talking about what the apostles heard and what, those walked with Christ's earthly ministry. So I'll, I'll start over with that context. So beginning in uh, verse 1 here. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that being Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> and the life was made manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. 
For we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you may too have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, again, this ties into the incarnation, because literally the, the subtitle is talking about the incarnate word, meaning the in flesh word. Um, but it, in, within that, it talks about several fulfillments. Right? So it's important to understand that Jesus came and he, he came to fulfill. He, he himself will say that, and we'll look at that in a moment. But he came to fulfill the law and the prophets concerning all that they required and said of him. Think about that. God gave man requirements and expectations of what to look for in the Messiah. Right? God did that. Jesus was equally a part of that. And he came to fulfill that. That's just a crazy thing to think about for in my, as far as in my view, uh, that he gave himself expectations and guidance, not, not directly to himself. He gave it to man. He gave it in word via prophecy uh, to the nation of Israel and to mankind. And then he came and fulfilled it. I think it's a very interesting dichotomy there. It is. You just have to be careful because we look at the, if we translate that to looking for a second coming, that we're not looking for these signs because that's, that's a good the point. scripture says you look for signs. That's what this generation is going to look for in the days of Noah, in the days of Jonah, they were looking for signs. They're looking for wonders and they didn't come. But scripture says when the fullness of time had come, he sent his son in human form. That's true. Paraphrasing. Yeah. But in the fullness of time, his timing is perfect. So we're just going to trust it. Right. Amen. But look how many people, because they were looking just at these prophecies, missed him yeah. oh he's gonna take the throne of his father david well missed because guess what he didn't fully take the throne of his father david he didn't conquer the romans like like many of the pharisees that, thought that he, was an example of isa jesus of the old testament even right they and they they did that and so we should take that as an example as we can look forward to his return now yeah is that's a phenomenal point not just looking for signs but like they're just being ready Right, yeah. being and that's like part of the purpose of this show is just be grounded in the word, be ready for his return, do what you yeah. need to do, live your life, live as a part of the body, right? Look forward to his coming, but don't pinpoint signs. I, I really get bent out of shape when people come up to me like, "Oh, you think this is a sign? You think this is a sign?" I had to, I had to correct somebody in a in a Bible study in front of people, and somebody I was teaching here at our local church, and it's like, "So, do you think this is something?" And I said, "No." I don't. And even if it is, that's not what I'm worried about. Yeah, I'm worried no, about that's when thing. his footsteps on the Mount of Olives. And no. when he knows, then I'll know. No, that, that's, right? that's a good way to put it. No, I agree. If we miss, if we, yeah, we get so wrapped up in this is a sign, that's a sign, then this is the seven years, and that's the seven years, and this is the thousand years. Like, when he shows up, he shows up. Yeah. Well, well and on that note, even, like, the apostles in the early Acts church— um, lived out this idea and taught this idea of immediacy, meaning to be ready, right? That he could come, or sorry, eminency. That's what I was looking for. That the return of Christ is eminent, meaning to always be ready, right? Um, that's how we, sh that mandate and that way of viewing it should be how we view it as well. It's not up to us to know the specifics. That's imminent with an I, not yeah. eminent with an E. Yeah, I mispronounced that. that sounded like it. Okay, I'll well, eminent, know. yeah. Imminent, yes. imminent. Okay. Nonetheless, that's a very good point, though, because it's very tempting, and that's exactly what, what Israel did. They they took the parts that sounded good, highlighted them, and di just ignored the other parts of, like, the suffering servant, of, like, um, other examples where 
Jesus is going to Jesus is going to come and pay the ransom for many. Um, they they only looked at the political in, in Old Testament the old, the Israel, the Jews their redemption they viewed holy their hope was political that was like a main flavor of their hope they looked at it as political security right civic security um, is that a part of it yes is that the is that the plumb line no uh, so that's a very good point Nate so but he did come to fulfill um, all that it was said about him. And we see further, Christ also fulfilled his own words. Because he, he, in his earthly ministry, he promised the Holy Spirit, for example, which we're going to look at. And that came to, come, came to pass. Um, and, and when he returns again, he spoke about that, not with, spe- not with specificity. But he did speak about it. And we, we know that that's going to come, you know, per our most recent rabbit hole here. So what does Scripture say about the, the, these prophecies, these fulfillment. Well, we see in Matthew, this is actually Nate referenced it earlier, Matthew 5, verses 17 through 19, the Bible says, this is Jesus speaking directly in the um, Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we see Jesus even here, and mind you, this was in the context of his earthly ministry before he fulfilled the cross. But he's saying he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, which he did perfectly. Um, This idea of Jesus identifying this need to fulfill and he achieved it. Further, we see in Luke 4, verses 16 through 21, a little backstory. This is Jesus teaching in the synagogue, um, and he pulls out a scroll from Isaiah, and he says that this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm going to give you the the specifics, but that's what this is about, right? This is shortly after his temptation, or he goes off in the uh, wilderness for 40 days and be tempted by Satan. Um, And the Bible says here, beginning in verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and it was his custom— And as was his custom, rather, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And lastly, we, we, we see this idea, I mentioned the promise of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, verses 7 through 8, this is Jesus talking to the disciples. Beginning in verse 7 here, the Bible says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. And this is that, pause, that, that verse 7, this is them asking Jesus, Hey, so are you coming to restore Israel? That, that was Jesus' initial response. Further, he goes on in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Then we know for we know for sure, shortly after that, the Holy Spirit did come upon them, and that has ever since come upon believers. Now these are there's plenty of examples. Like this episode could be like six, seven hours long, and we could still not 
fully do justice to what Jesus did and fulfilled. But this is just giving you a snapshot of the idea that Jesus is the great fulfiller. So how should this affect the way, and I'll ask you this to you, Nate, we can kind of briefly dialogue about this before we recap. How should this affect the way we view and think about Christmas and the entirety of the Christmas season, knowing that Christ, the, the names of Christ, understanding what Christ is, understanding that he was incarnate, and understanding that he fulfilled? Like how, how, how should that affect us what do you, when, in, your, in your eyes? I think that means we should take Christmas seriously. I mean, as as crazy as that maybe sounds, that I mean, Christmas is a time of joy and, and festivity and and fellowship with family, and it absolutely should be. And and the, it's okay a little bit that the secular world has taken that. Um, it's obviously taken it too far. But I um, this past weekend we did we did an early Christmas with our family, and yeah. it's it's great to fellowship with them. It's great to be with them and, and exchange gifts and, and be generous and and giving to one another. And there's great things and thing, principles can be learned from that. But if we miss, again, this it sounds cliche, but if we miss the, the reason for the entire season, if we forget the reason for the season, if we, we skip over that part of it, then all of that joy and fellowship is wasted. Um, one thing I'm grateful for is my family has had a tradition for years that Andrew is now a part of that, we do communion on Christmas Eve, or when we now it's when we do our Christmas celebration, but it used to be on Christmas Eve every year. Yeah. And that was, we would always start with it because that was it. We would, we would fellowship for a little bit, but once everybody was gathered around the table before we ate dinner, we would partake, we would have a small like message from an elder of the family, and then we would partake of communion. And I think that is just a, a reminder, you know, a celebratory reminder that although and we're celebrating his birth for Christmas, but again, though the purpose of his birth was his death, right? He came to die. What an oxymoron that is. A little bit, but yeah. he came no, to die, no, right? Great so <laughs> although we're celebrating his birth, we're also, we, we rejoice that he died. We rejoice that he rose again. And so it's all in, it's kind of this all in one celebration. And so I think that should really guide our, our lives every day, not just in Christmas, but Christmas especially. It's like just that kind of, maybe it's a good reset for you. Maybe you're kind of struggling, and that's where you need to, to hit the pause button. Our local church does a does a Christmas Eve service. Yeah. Um, so this year falls on a Sunday. So Sunday morning is regular a regular church service, and then Sunday evening is still a communion and celebration service for Christmas Eve. And I just think... Again, not to put too much in the local physical church body, the physical church building, but that gathering of fellowship among believers to, to celebrate the birth of our Lord. Because the birth of our Lord is, is, I mean, we celebrate his whole life, his death, his resurrection. It's all encompassing, but it starts with his birth. He came, he humbled himself and took on the likeness of a man. And so we should just not forget that. All right. I think you did a great job. You know, I, I think when you were talking about he came to die, right? He was born so he could die. They think about it, I, I cannot remember where it is in Scripture off the top of my head, but it's by his stripes, the stripes that were given to Jesus, the beating, that we are healed. Um, and that is astounding. And that's spiritual healing, not yeah, not no. just physical healing no. as, a, as a clarifier. Yeah. But yeah, yeah absolutely. No, but like that's yeah, most important, right? I would argue. <laughs> but, but you're right. No, and I think that that's just a really good way to encapsulate that that's right. what i was thinking about when you were talking and one of our pastors here actually does a good job every once in a while we talk about like why 
we like we talk about the stubbornness of the Pharisees and some of Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, and we just have to remember that even his walk on earth, everything was to prepare his way to the cross from yep. from birth. Yeah, the struggles that he had, especially as in his earthly teachings with the Pharisees and others, that they either wanted to crown him king or they wanted to stone him. All of it was to to procure his way to the cross, in in the manner which he was supposed to die. So yeah, that's. If you take away anything from today, just I, know I sound so cliche when I say this, and I hate saying it almost. No, but, it's good. But he is the reason for the season. Hey, man, he's the reason for, but not just the season. He's the reason for everything. Yes, he right. He's the he is the creator. He is. We look if if we talk if we call the Father the author of our salvation. Jesus is the the active party in our salvation. He. He secured our salvation, and the Holy Spirit then applies that salvation to us. And all of them come through Jesus Christ and, and through the Father and the Spirit. And it's just such a wonderful thing. So he is not just the reason for the season. He is every. He's the reason for everything. He's the reason that we as Christians have life and can have life more abundantly in heaven. Amen. <laughs> and he's the reason that we, 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 would, we would suffer and die is, is to, to further his name and further his kingdom. Yeah. So if we can, if we close today, I think we're just a refresher in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. It says, for to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And he did do this. And he is doing this. And he will complete this when he returns. Amen. And we're super... So just to close, from our families to yours, we just want to wish you a very merry and cheerful Christmas. We hope you have... Yes. You probably hope you eat way too much <laughs> and have too much fun with your family and your friends. And... This just remember that the season though is is because of him, and it, I would be amiss if I didn't say if you really if this if this message, if any message that we do, any show that we do touches you, we would very much appreciate if you subscribed on whatever platform you're listening on, and because we do shows weekly, and also share it with your friends, yeah, uh, share it on Facebook, wherever whatever social media you have, uh, we need your help to kind of get the word out there. We've got some positive feedback so far, and, and you guys are really starting to enjoy hearing us, and I, we very humbly appreciate that. Yes, but, it's very humbling. But we do need you to spread the word. Yeah. And if you, again, if you have any questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, you can always email us at fortitudeintruth316 at gmail.com. And Andrew, would you just briefly close us in, a, in a, an Advent or a, a Christmas prayer as we go? Yeah, I'd be honored to. Let's um, be just... Kind of get ready here. I just one, one last thing I wanted to add is Nate so rightly put out. We'd just like to again wish you a merry, merry, and cheerful Christmas. Um, and just we'd ask, encourage that even when you're in the midst of fellowship and with family and enjoying that massive blessing, that that you would all would remember Christ and, the, and Him coming Amen. and the joy that brings. And in light of that, let us pray. Amen. Father, we just we are so humbled by your everlasting love. Lord, and that you sought redemption when we weren't deserving, Lord. And in, in doing so, Christ, you came down. You came down and took on our likeness, took on our, our sin, our, all, all things that come with being human. 
and you did it for us. And you also did it, more importantly, to bring glory to God. Um, I, I am amazed and humbled not a moment goes by. And I know not only myself, my brother Nate here, and all of our listeners, and whoever this might touch, whoever hears my voice, Lord, right now, Lord, we're, we're, we're humbled and amazed by how you work. Lord, we thank you for this season. We thank you, Lord, for all you've done. Lord, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you came down for us to make a way back to God. In this, mo- in this season, Lord, in every season, every day, help us to keep that right focus on you and live out and walk humbly with our God. Jesus, we love you and praise you. And it's in your mighty, holy, and saving name that we say, amen. Amen. Thank you again for listening. We appreciate your support and your prayers. And may this message bless you as you go.